Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, yes, does that sound familiar? He who must not be named? That's what they call Voldemort. Uh, In J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter books, Voldemort, which actually in French, Voldemort, um, means flight of death. And of course, that uh, works for terrorists as well. But in uh, Harry Potter, Dumbledore kept encouraging people to use Voldemort's name in order to not fear the name. So let's talk about terrorists here and whether this same uh, plan should be used or not. The the reason why this is coming up right now uh, in particular is, I mean, this has been a a question that um, politicians and media have been debating just how much they talk about terrorists and terror attacks. And of course, it drives me nuts when something happens and it is so clearly a terrorist attack, and yet the authorities, in single quotes, um, are not acknowledging that it's a terrorist attack. Maybe they sometimes say it could be a terrorist attack, it might be a terrorist attack, Um, But they refuse to, many of them refuse to say it until there's something that proves more that it is. I went on Twitter right away when the New Zealand attack happened and said, um, you know, even though the authorities aren't calling this a terrorist attack, I will. I mean, it had all the earmarks of a terrorist attack. Actually, it wasn't so much, um, well, New Zealand, New Zealand was a little different, but actually, it was um, another one in, um, in the Netherlands that that came into play even more when they were trying to say that it was someone on a tram who it was a domestic dispute. Anyhow, let's get to this issue of to name or not to name. Uh, that is the question. So why this is coming up right now is because New Zealand's prime minister, Jacinda Ardern is, um, has, has told Parliament, quote, about the terrorist, Brenton Tarrant, and um, if you didn't hear my previous uh, show about him, I suggest that you listen to that. I put Brenton Tarrant on my couch. So clearly I am one who believes in um, full disclosure, calling terrorists terrorists and naming terrorists and naming their attacks. And then we're going to get to the manifesto, which is a little more thorny. Anyhow, the Prime Minister of New Zealand told Parliament that Brenton Tarrant, quote, sought many things from his act of terror, but one was notoriety. That is why you will never hear me mention his name, unquote. Um, He, you know, there is this theory. uh, Actually, uh, Margaret Thatcher said, use this term, um, the the oxygen of publicity. So in other words, the more publicity a terrorist or someone would get, um, the more oxygen it gives them, the more uh, time they have to breathe, the more it affects the rest of the world. You know, it doesn't, uh, as opposed to just 
not mentioning them, you know, not giving them a lot of publicity and um, hoping that people will forget about them. Well, <laughs> they're not going to forget about them. And in any case, um, you know, the idea, of course, is to, to not give them the oxygen of publicity so that other people won't pay attention to their ideas and won't um, see that their actions were glorified and think to themselves, hmm, if I do this, um, I'm going to get all this publicity. I mean, this goes for terrorists, it goes for school shooters, um, and so on. So uh, and the idea is to try to prevent people from following in their footsteps. But not naming a terrorist will not achieve this. In fact, um, you know, by the prime minister not mentioning the name of Britain Tarrant, the people in New Zealand and all over the world already heard his name um, from lots of other media. So it's not like um, nobody is ever going to know. Um, also, so if you're, if you're going to take the point of view that you shouldn't mention a person's name, a terrorist's name, then does that mention uh, that you shouldn't give much attention to the attacks themselves? You shouldn't talk about the attacks because that's going to be giving them the oxygen of publicity as well. Now, first of all, terrorists, um, really, it's not so much about the person. Terrorism doesn't have its... Um, it's strong impact by who the terrorist is, per se. It's more by the action, by what the terrorist does, the symbolism. So, for example, if you think about 9-11, um, there, you know, there was the symbolism of striking the Twin Towers. First of all, those were t the two tallest buildings, and they were phallic symbols. And so, in other words, it was trying to take away the power of the United States. Similarly, targeting the Pentagon and uh, the, where the defense um, people are who, who protect us. And then also the plane that went down in Pennsylvania, there are thoughts that that was heading towards the White House. So it was the symbolism and the reason um, for these or the places, you know, what these attacks were supposed to symbolize you know, that mostly give us fear, not the particular person. So like if you think about Brenton Tarrant, for example, as I talked about uh, by analyzing him, putting him on my couch, he himself wasn't a very fearsome man. What he did in New Zealand, of course, struck fear. But, you know, when you hear about these people, another uh, example, uh, you know, the terrorists themselves, even the ones on, on from 9-11, if you, you, they become men, they have feet of clay. But so it's not so much about knowing their name that is going to make us, you know, uh, that is going to make terrorism cease to exist. Now, what about the manifesto? Now, you could argue more uh, that we shouldn't have allow manifestos to be published or we shouldn't uh, because, you know, if someone reads a whole manifesto, then that could have more of a... Um, of an effect in terms of motivating people to, you know, think, oh yeah, that's right, uh, that that makes sense, and and for them to follow in their footsteps, uh, to make copycat attacks. So, you know, in Brevik, in um, Ta Britain Tarrant's uh, manifesto, for example, that was on the internet, 
and um, it was, uh, you know, eventually taken down, but obviously lots of people saw it. Some media uh, actually reproduced it and also, um, or took parts of it and read it on the air or reproduced it in the newspaper or, on, or online. Um, and, you know, the thing was, when it was online, it was, uh, it was retweeted or, you know, re-sent, reposted from one person to the other once one person got it. Um, so, you know, he gave his whole explanation for why he was attacking the mosques and um, why and explained it all in great detail. Um, and now what happened in New Zealand is that um, after his manifesto came out, he had sent it to people, um, including the prime minister, but when it came out, um, the chief censor of New Zealand deemed the manifesto as, quote, objectionable, unquote. And it, by doing this, this made possession of the manifesto and dissemination of it uh, against the law. So they outlawed spreading and possessing his manifesto. However, they left it available for researchers and journalists who can apply to uh, get an exemption from the state to allow them to view it. So, you know, um, then presumably it is up to them as far as uh, what more they do with it. But, um, but if dissemination is against the law, then it seems like they wouldn't be allowed to do very much with it. Now, you know, is this a good idea? Um, that's the question, is, is even the manifesto, is, it, is that a good idea? Keeping, keeping terrorist manifestos, or you know, we have similar kinds of things when terrorists leave videos uh, before they commit an attack. And that, of course, that gets on the internet and all over the place. Should we stop that? Well, we'll talk more about this whole issue of whether um, a terrorist by any other name would still be as evil, and what we should do in terms of naming the person, naming the attack, naming the manifesto, writing about letting uh, people read the manifesto or hear the manifesto. And then later on in the show, we're gonna be talking about the internet and what part that plays in all of this. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Today we've been talking about whether or not to name terrorists. A terrorist, just like Voldemort, he who must not be named, is that how we should uh, conduct ourselves and, or have the media and politicians conduct themselves after terror attacks? I don't think so. Because if we don't name a terrorist, they won't cease to exist. All that will happen is that the public will know a lot less about the terrorist, about the attack, about his manifesto, um, and we will, and ignorance is not bliss in this situation um, because there's no proof <laughs> that it's going to prevent other people from taking up the mission of any one particular terrorist. Um, 
And in fact, it's more, this, it's, it's easy. It seems like, you know, it would be like, that's the easy solution to terrorism. Let's just not name the terrorist, talk about, you know, much about the attack and certainly not publish his manifesto. Well, clearly, as you have seen, I don't believe in that because as an example, my last show about um, Brenton Tarrant, the New Zealand terrorist, I, t I gave his name, I, uh, I, I analyzed him as a psychiatrist and I gave snippets of his manifesto. And the whole point of this was to help you to understand what terrorism is all about, what this terrorist is about, what motivates terrorists, and um, what, so that in the future, we can understand what we need as a society to do differently. We might also understand, uh, be able to pick out people who are potential or future or wannabe terrorists by understanding what makes them tick. Um, but, you know, it would be an easy solution to, you know, thinking, well, it's just like in, it's just like in Harry Potter, you know, you can't say the name Voldemort, so he doesn't exist. Well, obviously that's not true. So we need to be able to explore as a society our own so-called dark underbelly that is making, um, that, is, that has allowed terrorism to exist so far. And um, also, if we don't, if we don't really dig into this and try to understand terrorism better on all these different levels, then um, all kinds of conspiracy theories are going to come about. Uh, people will fill in their own information. Their, um, you know, they will if they're the the less that's known about a terrorist or about an attack or about why he did what he did, the more people will be able to fill in their own ideas for why that happened. Now, um, you know, so so now I, I started off by telling you about how the prime minister of New Zealand um, said that she's not going to mention um, his name, Brenton Tar Tarrant's name. And, um, but, but if the media um, started to follow that, if more leaders and more news outlets started to follow that or feel under pressure, then, um, then we are going to know a lot less. And as I was trying to say, we won't understand terrorism and we'll there will be people who will fill in their own manifestos, in other words, their own ideas of what happened and why. Now, there was an attempt, there have been some attempts before by media to um, not name terrorists. For example, um, after the jihadist truck attack in Nice and the murder of a French Catholic priest in Normandy, uh, in France, French newspapers, Le Monde and La Croix, decided not to publish pictures of the killers. And a French radio station, Radio One, took it further and didn't name the killers either, the terrorists either. But Europe One eventually didn't stick with this decision for long. So, you know, of course it, it, it makes us feel better in a sense. We want to punish the terrorists. And so since we know they do want publicity, um, it feels like if we don't give them what they want, 
you know, if we don't talk about them or their attack or their manifesto, then we'll be punishing them. Well, that may be true, <laughs> but um, we shouldn't give in to our desires to get back at terrorists by, you know, not talking about these things um, at the expense of us not understanding what is going on. So, um, you know, um, <laughs> I was talking about before about how if when you, and I've done this before, you know, in, in previous shows, whenever there's been a, a, an, an interesting terrorist, whenever there's been a terrorist who committed a significant attack, or even a little less significant one, but I find, I find it really fascinating to, to analyze them. And, um, and if we, um, if we, when we see them, as I was saying before, if we see them as uh, having feet of clay, in other words, you know, ISIS and Al Qaeda want us to um, want us to be afraid, want to want to spread terror, obviously. So by spreading terror, it's not in their mind, you know. Even though terrorists, I mean, they they often wear masks and all of that. And yes, as I was saying, it's not the terrorist per se, it's the symbol, symbolic gesture of the attack and so on. But still, um, to make it even more terrorizing, um, uh, groups like uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda would like us to be fearful of the people who committed these attacks. And when we sort of unmask them and analyze them and get into all the reasons from their childhood and all of that. I talked about uh, Brenton Tarrant's father and his problems with his father as having been a key to understanding who he was and, and um, why he went traveling the world after his father died and so on, being a key uh, factor in his turning to terrorism. Um, so those kinds of things, you know, things that we can kind of relate to uh, makes the terrorist seem less scary because, you know, now we make him into a man. We've all had issues with our parents, right? And I talked about his mother, too, issues with his mother. Um, so when we, when we see the terrorist like that, it unmasks them and makes the terror that they, that they want to project or the fear that they, you know, the, the, however much the attack made us terrorized, still by unmasking the terrorist, um, it does kind of, you know, in a way, in a way make them less scary and in another way you could say make them more scary because they seem more like us. Um, you know, in other words, you could, I know what you're thinking, if I have problems with my father or problems with my mother, does that mean I'm gonna go uh, traveling the world and uh, become a terrorist? Probably not. <laughs> Now we're going to be talking about another aspect of this, though, sort of the other side of the coin, um, you know, that that has been talked about um, or debated and, and that is being debated right now. Um, and that is the issue of the Internet. What part, what role does the Internet play in terrorism? We know it plays a pretty pretty powerful role in recruiting and in teaching people how to make bombs and things like that. Um, and in a sense, in glorifying 
uh, the act. I mean, we know the New Zealand terrorist took a video as he was shooting people in the two mosques and uh, posted it on the internet. And it took a while <laughs> for um, these posts to come down because that is sort of the nature of the internet because as soon as this happened, everyone went looking for it. And as more people found it, they were able to repost it and affect and allow more people to see it. And um, it was really horrifying uh, to have this blow by blow, minute by minute account, um, visual and, uh, and, and, and auditory as well of what he was doing and him talking and, um, you know, which is, of course, we saw his, I mean, <laughs> well, we, we got it from his point of view in any case. Um, you know, when he went into court, they blurred out his head so that we wouldn't recognize him, which is kind of similar to the idea of not naming him and so on. Of course, by that time, we, we already knew a lot of details. So, you know, how, how much um, can we do? How much would this be effective anyway if we all decided one day, yes, we're not going to name any the terrorists, we're not going to show their attack, we're not going to publish their manifesto, and we're going to take it down from the Internet. So next we're going to be talking about this issue of taking things down from the Internet. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Today we're talking about whether a terrorist by any other name would still be as evil. Uh, we're looking at terrorism, <laughs> naming terrorists or not naming them, uh, similar to the issue of Voldemort from Harry Potter, he who must not be named. Well, I was talking, I've been talking about um, the issue of whether we should name them, reveal the, the terrorist names, whether they, we should talk, reveal details about the attack, whether we should reveal um, the manifesto. And now we're going to be talking about these things, but um, as it relates to the internet. Because whenever a terrorist act happens in the real world, they obtain a kind of afterlife online. Um, you know, it's when it's done, <laughs> like for example, the New Zealand attack, it's over. And yet, um, there is still, it's still on the internet. Um, there's still, of course, articles about it and, um, well, all kinds of things about it. The video was supposed to have been taken down, but um, I have not done an exhaustive search of the internet, but something tells me that one could still find it somewhere. Uh, so, so what about that? Even, even just going back to 9-11, there are all kinds of things, um, of course, about 9-11 on the internet still. So whatever the 7-7 in London, whatever the attacks were, Spain, any kind of Nice, you name it, literally, you name it, it is still on the internet. At the very least, it's in Wikipedia. But there are, there's ton, there are tons of, of websites and articles and uh, YouTube uh, and all kinds of things about about different terror attacks and terrorists for that matter. Um, so so what do we do about this? Um, you know this the um, lawmakers in Europe have decided that they want to do something about it. You know they're being a little more proactive 
than the U.S. And they are trying to enact new laws that will hold big tech companies like Facebook and Google more accountable for any kind of terrorist content that they post. Now, they first proposed this legislation by the European Union um, last September because of the spread of ISIS propaganda, because um, as the caliphate, the land was decreasing, there was more uh, spread of ISIS propaganda, both in terms of people coming back to their home countries, uh, or trying to get back, <laughs> spreading into Europe particularly, and um, on the internet, because you know the caliphate could be and will be um, as, a, as on the verge of being totally destroyed. But ISIS isn't being totally destroyed, and they still have computers, and at least some of them, at least the leaders, um, the, people, the people in charge of putting out this propaganda. And so it isn't dead. Um, it lives on the internet. The propaganda to get people to uh, be recruited to ISIS and Al-Qaeda and, um, and the instructions how to carry out acts of violence, how to build bombs, how to do other things to create attacks, and anything that glorifies the violence itself. So um, now Europe, of course, is particularly, lawmakers in Europe are particularly concerned about this because this is affecting Europe more, so, so far more than it has the US. But that's why I keep urging all of you to, to, to look at Europe, what's happening in Europe, as what's going to be happening in the US if we don't take stronger, a stronger stance, such and that includes immigration um, and all the other kinds of legislation that this president, President Trump, has been trying to enact. Um, I've done a radio show, if you look back in the, amongst the archives, there's a radio show about the dozen terrorists who have been caught uh, crossing the border. You know, people try to say there are no terrorists crossing the border with Mexico. But yes, indeed they are, and it isn't just one terrorist or 12 terrorists, it's who they brought in with them. They acted as, uh, uh, they crossed into the U.S., and they helped to bring other terrorists into the U.S., so anyhow, so the um, legislation, and so they're, you know, they're looking at this because they look at some of the, the attacks that have occurred in Europe, Nice, Bataclan in Paris, Manchester in England, and all of that, and there was always a connection to the internet. Either they were taught how to do the attack through the internet, or they were recruited through the internet. Um, so they have enacted or they want to enact new laws requiring uh, these platforms to take down any terrorism-related content within an hour of a notice being issued. Now, and also to use a filter to make sure that this material is not re-uploaded. And if they fail on either one of these things, these laws that they are discussing fine companies up to 4% of their global annual rev revenue. So for example, Facebook, that earned close to 17 billion, with a B, dollars in revenue last year, could be fined as much as $680 million if they don't take these things down once the authorities, the people who have been given 
the um, the responsibility once they tell them uh, to take it down if they don't within an hour and if they don't use these filters to make sure it's not uploaded. But there are a lot of critics of this who say that if these um, things are taken down, that it threatens the principles of a free and open internet. And also, it jeopardizes the work done by anti-terrorist groups, counter-terrorism groups. If they don't have access to things that are you know, going on to be able to study and to be able to make plans uh, by looking at, they, they wouldn't be able to do their work as well. Um, so they are trying to find a balance between this freedom of speech and trying to uh, not recruit and teach terrorists to, to attack. So, um, so there's the reason why there's this um, takedown limit, the, the one hour takedown limit, is because they have found that's you know, the, the one of two um, core obligations to these laws, um, the, the, um, if they found out that if it doesn't, if it's left up, if content is left up for more than one hour, the viewership increases 10 times. So, um, again, these are, uh, the idea is for each European Union member state to designate a competent, this is in quotes, a competent authority to tell, to flag the uh, content to, you know, Facebook or Google or any of these providers. And um, this includes videos and images that incite terrorism, uh, provide instructions for terrorism, or otherwise promote involvement with a terrorist group. These are the um, the definitions. This is what they are supposed to go by, these competent authorities. And they send this removal order, and then um, they are supposed to delete it or disable access to it. Uh, for any users inside the EU, this is related to the European Union countries. And um, now, so far, this is similar to what there is as voluntary rules but they're trying to make it laws and they're trying to get money from the, um, you know, from the giants of the internet if they don't uh, take it down in this way. And, um, the, and this filter in particular is what is new. Um, this this up, a legally mandated upload filter to stop the content from continuously being re-uploaded after it's been flagged and removed. Um, but the thing is that it isn't, these filters are not foolproof and sometimes people can uh, bypass them and you see the content going up again. Now, this, this, these filters have been used to stop the spread of child abuse content online. But the difference is that, you know, there's no legitimate use of videos depicting child abuse, but there are, are legitimate um, uses for um, for some terrorist content, such as um, groups that are that are not connected with the government and that are trying to the human human rights groups 
that rely on things like in Syria's civil war, for example, to document the attacks. Um, this is the only way to prove that human rights violations have been occurring. Now, between 2012 and 2018, Google took down over 100,000 videos of attacks that were carried out in Syria's civil war, and that destroyed this vital evidence. Um, there's a, 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 some, an organization called the Syrian Archive that verifies their mission is to verify and preserve footage of the conflict. And so what they've been doing, uh, they've been having to back up footage as soon as they see it and try to um, outrun uh, you know, companies like Google who take it down. Because you can see how it could be used by government. I mean, this is a very slippery slope. The bottom line of this is that this is a very slippery slope because although, yes, there is the danger that some content, I mean, we don't want instruction on how to make a bomb, although, although you know, certainly um, that, uh, that could be argued too as far as freedom of expression. You know, it's not so much, it's not so much the bomb that, or the instructions on how to make a bomb that cause, is, that cause terrorists to become, people to become terrorists. Yes, it makes it easier if you have instructions, but on the other hand, um, you know, it is the ideology and the, and the problems that the terrorists have, you know, in there, like we talked about with Tarrant, it is their psychological problems and the ideology, the um, misinformation that's being spread by, by terrorists uh, about why people need to perpetrate terrorist attack. You know, just like it's not the guns who kill people, it's people who kill people. I mean, it's, it's, people will find a way to kill people, whether it's a gun or a knife or a bomb. If a terrorist wants to perpetrate an attack, there are other ways besides bomb instructions. So um, again, this is a very slippery slope to decide for these um, authorities who we give the power, you know, people who we decide can have the power, we, we say that they're the authorities, and um, how do, this is how government becomes authorities and how, you know, in places like Russia, and how, I mean, this is exactly, it's limiting media by what the state wants people to see. And that is a very slippery slope that I do not think that we should start going down. So <laughs> thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carroll, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.